Welcome back to Fitness or Fiction. We're cutting through the hype, and I'm going to tell you exactly what that means. Curtis, tell us what that means. <laughs> uh, so cutting through the hype, the whole concept here is that we're taking questions and information and trying to get into some of the deeper stuff behind it. It's a really interesting thing because as we talk about it, you're, we were kind of spitballing there and, and you were talking about how there's a discrepancy between you know your fitness consumer or enthusiast, whatever you want to call it. And I usually say creating a more discerning fitness consumer, but there's not always positives behind that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cutting through the hype, if that's going to be our little slogan going forwards. I think there's a lot of hype in the fitness industry. It's all it's all hype, all marketing, all like just bundles of information, but it's like these bundles of information with these huge topics that are bundled down into something like into three words and you put a little sex appeal on it and put it on Instagram and boom, you have uh, you have hype all of a sudden and people will follow that hype without a lot of thought process put in behind it. Yeah, that's called a heuristic. That's like that's a natural way of people learning. It's like when you're in traffic and you're looking around for other vehicles, you're not looking for like, well, that's an 84K car. You're, that's not what you're doing. You're creating heuristics. So it makes it easier to take on your, your world and your information. So it's natural to do that. But I have a problem when we start getting into a topic that's a big deal. It's a really big topic to unpack. And people are like, yeah, but I just want the answer. Like, we're going to definitely do a, a topic one day, you know, what is toning? Because I find that really interesting. Mm -hmm. like people know what they're referring to most of the time, I think. But, you know, muscle tone is the amount that your muscle is turned on. Yeah. Um, but I think what most people are referring to is, well, you know, I'd like to see my muscle more, but I don't want to be bigger. They but want I want shape, less body fat. The definition, the shape. They want to see a little bit. Well, the concept of lean and lean long lean muscles so this type of exercise builds long lean muscles that it's not founded in anything yeah it, like you're not gonna do an exercise that changes the shape of the muscle you have you can grow it or shrink it and that's all and the when i have the muscles lean in there one way or another whether it's popping due to your body fat is another thing yeah yeah exactly so Anyways, cutting through the hype is really, okay, so there's a lot of things, a lot of terminology we throw around. Let's get deeper into it. And when we talk about does a fitness enthusiast need to have the same information as a coach, I would say no. You had a kind of a baking reference, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. There's, um, what was the baking reference? Oh. <gasps> people want to eat the cake, but they don't. People, people want to eat the cake, but they don't really care about how it's made. Like, I enjoy sweets and cake, but I don't care about baking at all. So, like, people just want the cake. They don't want to bake it. Yeah, for me, they should find the right baker. hey -oh. Yeah. Yeah, so the big thing for me is you don't need to know everything about everything. That's the ridiculous. But you want to have some real standard things in line. And one of them is what questions to ask. Mm -hmm. Like, I think empowering people, you know, creating a more discerning fitness consumer this is about empowerment and this isn't talking from a place like high to low this is listen i'm working through this stuff too and these are questions that are good for all of us to ask do you need to know well today i'm going to do a lat pull and i'm going to select something to work on the costal or let's say the the thoracic fibers or the iliac fibers or the lumbar fibers of my lat no we don't need people walking around with that level of information but if they're hiring a coach should their coach be able to figure out, well, there's three different lines to target and I should be able to set up an exercise and execution to do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like people are like, oh, I want a thicker back. And then you see them doing things that work the muscles in between their shoulder blades, but they're talking about thickness at their ribs. Yeah. Well, the coach needs to know that and you need the person that wants that to have an idea of what questions to ask the coach for that. <laughs> and even if it's, how would you target this space? Yeah, um, we should get a good answer out of the coach and you should be able to feel that working there. Yeah, I like what you're saying. Essentially, like it's easy to say, like, well, find the right baker. But what questions do you ask to make sure that that baker actually knows what they're talking about? That's that's 100 percent. And now we're petting the same dog. Yeah. Yeah. The idea is how do we ask the right questions? So, you know, we talk about future episodes. What are we going to look into? And really, it's questions. Uh, that's an invite just so we're clear um <laughs> questions are a good thing and i think getting into a question we're going to find out oftentimes there's this this craving for what is the answer but the answer isn't 
with the human body, it's very rarely just, well, this is the answer. And when you get that sort of dogmatism, it's actually a sign of a, a weak system of information. Mm -hmm. Because let's say the best rep range for muscle building for me right now is like uh, four by eight. Let's go a real classic four sets of eight repetitions. Okay, so what tempo then? Oh, mm -hmm. and, and what sort of intensity? And what sort of setup? And what sort of pairings? Like there's a lot of questions and I'm not trying to overcomplicate things, but I do want to give voice to, you know what, there, there's going to be something that falls under the umbrella of a good answer, but it's very rarely the stick you hold on to. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important we almost have this conversation. I feel like we've had a conversation off, off mic two or three times now when we talk about like what's why fitness or fiction cutting through the hype what is that you asked me what the problem with the fitness industry is and it's really easy to go off on some basic answers being like well i think the answer is like it's bad diets it's fitness influencers it's bad information it's it's this it's x and y it's z it's supplement companies all of this and I that's like easy for me to go off on that tangent and your response those are all good episodes that's my response um each person is going to have their own understanding of what needs to be straightened out for them, things they need clarity on. And that's why a lot of different questions are a good thing. But for me, when you look at, at the challenges in the industry, uh, first of all, before we unpack that, we're going to come back to that if you're, if you're okay for this little journey. I guess. So we say health and fitness industry. That's two separate things in a lot of ways. And there's overlap. I'm, I'm going to agree that there's a ton of overlap. But in my world, when people think health, they're thinking about like their, their health care system. Or some people like to call it sick care because they really only pay attention if you're having a problem. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't really care. We don't need to get into that too much. I do care, but it's not something I want to discuss right now. But the idea for me is like, okay, so the healthcare system has different outcomes and thoughts than the fitness industry and they have different places that should in my view bloody well overlap yeah there's a lot of overlap when i've discussed health the health industry versus the fitness industry fitness industry is like there can be a lot of insanely fit athletes who are not that healthy per se or health is not their optimal focus their optimal focus is building as much muscle mass as possible regardless of other health effects that might potentially come with that, whether there's usage of like different drugs or performance enhancing like stimulants and things like that, that don't really add to your health, but they add a hell of a lot to your fitness. Yeah. Well, and like we talked the overlap between these, well, somebody has a condition. So me dealing with my condition, finding a trainer that can kind of work with that. i I've had a lot of people say, well, hey, I'm dealing with that too. I want to talk to you. And that's perfect because I can understand where they're coming from. But we should see that more often. I was talking to Jeff Caskelli from Tower Physio downtown. Um, and yes, I was on the phone with him for about 45 minutes, about three people that he's seeing and, and what the next step is with them. In my view, I was really excited about that much time to discuss with him what the next step is for these people, what he's doing, how that fits into what I'm doing. Because his goal is get them out of pain, get them, get that joint functioning. And then for me, I'm going to take them and I'm going to continue training that joint so that they can get back to performance, whether that's just back to their regular life or continuing to be pain-free and figuring out how to be more resilient against that going forward. But for me, that is the overlap. Like that's what we should be looking at. But we run into this issue where a lot of times people aren't, when I first got my diagnosis, Hey, you have this. Okay, what's the best thing? Exercise. Okay. Yeah. Cool, I've been doing that. Uh, what type of exercise would you say is best? What do you mean? Like, uh, do do a 20 to 30 minutes a day of cardio. I'm like, yeah, but if I get hot, I'm useless. That that will make me feel handicapped. I don't, I don't want to do that. And that's also not a real neurological stimulus, which if I want to retain control of my left leg, I'd need that. Mm -hmm. And... My doctor looked at me and he said, yeah, that's why I need you though, because I don't know all of that. And I want you to know that and teach my patients that. And that's exactly what we're looking for. Um, so when we talk about health and fitness, it, it, they tend to come up against each other in, in not the best of ways. It's like, well, the traditional thing is you go see a doctor, they say, oh, your knee hurts. Well, it's probably arthritis. Stop doing things, which we know is bad advice, mm -hmm. but that's in their, how many courses in their doctorate actually included how to exercise. Yeah. 
And then the fitness industry is like, well, no, here's the research on that. That's my area. You should be doing X, Y, and Z. We know that hyperloading is actually better for arthritis than hypoloading. And that's on a, a study of 65-year-old weightlifters uh, that were world-class. Mm-hmm. And their knees were actually better than people that hadn't done any sport. Um, so it ends up being this thing where if you have conflict there, we're creating turbulence for the consumer or person. Let's just say person. For the person involved, we're creating turbulence. And that turbulence can derail them from doing anything. And a lot of what I have come to do in my career is taking people that have been totally disenfranchised and told, well, you have this issue and it's not fixable. And they buy into it and they feel depressed so they don't do anything because they're afraid that's the wrong thing. And, and that's where the two coming together can go wrong. And it's not always like that. There's best case scenarios and worst case scenarios. But I think all too often the the alignment between those two doesn't doesn't go together. And, and it can be the pharmaceutical side of things that people get into that. I'm, I'm not looking to do that today. But, um, you know, thinking that the pharmaceutical side is, is the solution, quote unquote. Um, and then, you know, the other side, I've run into a lot of people where they do have a condition and they're trying to get off of meds. And there's some that that's a really great thing for. But there's some conditions, like for me, my choice is to take my medication every day bar none, but also do everything else that I can do to impact my condition. Mm -hmm. Because if that's even a 1% help, I'll take it. Yeah. So there's, yeah, it overlaps in a lot of places, but there's also a lot of diversion that's really scary. Yeah. That was a big matzo ball. That's a matzo ball. Yeah. That was a big matzo ball. I think a piece of that, if I'm going to just plug something here, I just went on a rant on a different podcast, the one that I host with uh, LJ Lopez. It's called E2 Performance. And I just went on a big tangent about, um, like, you get to choose your suffering. And choosing your suffering means, like, you can either choose to suffer from activity or inactivity. And something that drives me crazy in the health and fitness industry is when, when professionals, I find a lot of people get, like, if they're diagnosed with something or a condition or something, a lot of them say, oh, just do nothing. Just arrest it for a long, like, almost an overextended period of time, almost because they're just playing it safe more than anything. And people are like, oh, well, my doctor told me to do absolutely nothing. Like, that's like that's a solution to me. Like, if that's if you're being prescribed, like, do nothing, that's um feels a little crazy to me. I'm not saying every condition or situation that's the wrong answer for. But for the bulk of the like situation, I feel like people can still be moving, can still be doing something proactive for their health and fitness, like linked as a whole. Well, I think it's bigger than that even. If you take away from me my personal responsibilities, I don't have control of anything. Mm-hmm. So I don't have control over what happens in the world many times. Like there's things that I do have control over. But my personal responsibility is really all I have in this world. If something happens, I don't get to always choose it. And the things that I don't get to choose, my only choice is what am I going to do with it? Mm-hmm. And when that choice ends up being kind of curbed and steered by by an outside person saying no it's it's not your fault which is probably true and well listen you just need to rest that that steering to me is scary because it's taking away from them the one thing they have which is their own personal responsibility and control so you know what if you were going to do something here's where to start is so much more valuable in my opinion mm-hmm. and really like you have the choice of whether you want to let it consume you or whether you want to work in the opposite direction that's little things and big things so like we come back to the diagnosis thing because it's easily relatable for me but a a lot of times it's like well i'm experiencing shoulder pain should i just stop everything and my invitation would be start with where is it at what can i do without pain who have i seen to talk to about this and you're going to find that as you take control over that and have a next step even if it's the wrong one, you've identified something that doesn't work. So that's a win. Mm-hmm. But really in the first two episodes, the reason that I think it's important to go through who is Eric Berg, I think it was the the myth of Eric Berg. You no, I was the myth. I You're was the, the legend. legend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I started out the names and you kept rolling with it. That was nice. <laughs> it played out well for me, I think. <laughs> but the reason that we did those episodes isn't because I don't know you. I actually feel like I know you a little bit better after that. Mm-hmm. But... You know, it's getting used to talking for sure. That's good. But it's also, why listen to somebody if you don't know what they're about? 
yeah. the world today is more like that than it used to be in some ways, I think, because it's not just the message that there that's there, it's what's behind the message and what is this person's intention and and really to get across to the people that I'm hoping to they need to understand like I I'm not trying to sell something here. I'm not trying to push them down a pathway. I'm actually trying to say, I'm working through this stuff too. And here's what I've come to that is the best. And if that saves you time, then we're winning. And in a lot of ways, if the questions that we're asking here guide a person to find the right person in the industry or outside of the fitness industry and the health industry or whatever it is, like if somebody goes and sees my buddy, Josh Martin, I think we call him Diesel. Or if they see you, or if they see George Ryle, or anybody that I know that is a really good practitioner, if this conversation has led them to that relationship, then I know they're in good hands, so I feel like it's a win. Yeah. So that's why that's important. But then going forward, it's like, okay, the podcast, the, this whole thing is about helping people with discernment. And I like to say building a more discerning fitness consumer, but... Just building discernment is a good thing. If I accomplish that for you and me, I feel like that's a win. Mm -hmm. If that extends to other people, then it's a larger win. And I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah. But as we get into this, this whole thing, and the, the question is, okay, well, what is the actual problem? Yeah, there's a lot. There's many, many problems. So basically we can talk about information or we can talk about kind of the, the stats mm -hmm. and let's talk about information first. So what's the challenge facing people as far as information goes right now would be the real question that we're answering. Yeah. We've kind of touched on that. The challenge of information is there's so much out there. How do you discern what's good information? What's bad information and where to go? Yeah. Yeah. Where to go? Who's got it? And then it's also, again, that less is more people are looking for the simple information. They're looking for the right information, but it needs to be simple and like bite-sized. Like there's actually many, many TikTok fitness enthusiasts or TikTok influencers, however you want to slice them, that can give you a little 10 second blip of information. But how do you know it's actually good? Yeah, well, and that's, that's the big thing. I actually think that the solution to some of the challenges that we're dealing with now is discernment specifically because when I ask people what they think of fitness influencers, I very rarely get a positive answer. And that's not even weighing in what I feel about it. That's what I often get back. Well, they're this and that and the other. And for me, just sitting there and being curious and listening, my question is, why does that persist? If, if my experience is that most people are unhappy with that setup, then why does it still exist? Yeah, simply just because people continue to buy into it. For instance, uh let's say I'm on social media and I'm who I am right now. But as I start to gain traction, I honestly don't believe in that many supplements. I used to take supplements a lot when I was younger. Like, oh, creatine is going to help me get size. Oh, I'm going to take protein, creatine. I'm going to take casein protein because it's a slower digesting protein. And I have a fast metabolism, all this crap. People want fat burners and thermogenics and things like that. Now, 10 years into my fitness career, I've stopped most of those supplements aside from maybe protein, which I'm not even taking right now. Like, oh, I've cut out all these supplements. It just seems like, for the most part, a, a pretty big waste of money for me. Um, that's my personal view on the matter of supplementation. But you take a coach or a trainer who gets a little bit of popularity, or a little bit of flair on social media, they blow up their audience a little bit, and then a supplement company wants to sponsor them. Now they're actually going to get paid for their social media content because previously if you had 50,000 followers on Instagram and you're pumping out free content there's no necessary money in that unless people are actually buying a service directly from you so having a company sponsor you as with the supplement company being oh use use discount code Eric and get 30% off your uh, your fat burners and crap like that all of a sudden you'll see these fitness influencers start pumping out products that they might not necessarily believe in but it's going to help them pay their bills and get to like tap their bottom line so they might start producing it and they might even start using it like if somebody was giving you a bunch of free supplements that you didn't have to pay for anymore and it gave you a small little boost or like small increase you might start using it even though it's not giving you this giant boost you know they post on these supplements like science power strength <laughs> like any supplement that just has the word science on it whew, get out of here <laughs> 
see you and me diverge a little bit in this area because I actually, I, I do think that supplements have a place, but I agree with you on the place. It's not just going to be like, Hey, is taking protein powder a good thing? That's a question for a future episode yep. for sure. But I don't think supplements are bad. I think in a lot of cases they're good. Mm-hmm. And like on the topic of creatine, that's an episode in itself Yeah, because there's different delivery mechanisms for creatine, but there's a lot of really good research even um, talking about creatine limiting the amount of relapses and also the um, the size or intensity of the relapse in somebody with MS. Mm-hmm. And when I started finding studies like that, I was like, oh, interesting. Um, because it is an important part of cellular energy, right? Yeah. So especially somebody who's not consuming meat, that can be a really great idea. But does that mean that we just label it with creatine, good? Good, bad. Yeah. And with these supplements, it's more about, I'm talking about the percentage of boost people think they're getting. Like when they're like, oh, take this thermogenic, it's going to help you lose stupid amounts of fat. Yeah. But that thermogenic is not going to outweigh a bad diet. Just like if you're talking about a young young kid who wants to put on muscle like I did when I was 18 and I wanted to get jacked, taking creatine and some protein as a supplement, but still eating a low calorie diet for the most part, because I don't like eating or I don't like cooking. Those supplements are not going to outweigh those other factors. To me, they're, they're micro adjustments, like micro additions to your lifestyle. People want to start, you know, you've seen it, I'm sure before those pyramids of like, your foundation should be like, lifestyle, rest, recovery, nutrition. And then as you go up, like to me, supplementation starts to be at the top of the pyramid where it's it's going to give you a little bit of bang for your buck but it's not necessarily where you should start and a lot of people like to start there because it's the easiest you just mix this scoop of powder in your drink and it's magic powder it yeah. does all the work for you yeah those pyramids based on maslow's hierarchy of needs kind or, of thing but yeah like these the intensity like what's more important proper supplementation or proper intensity and exercise selection in your program like yeah, well, and you know what? You could argue on either side of those. My thing is, like, somebody asks me about that, and I'm like, well, having enough protein in your diet is a good thing. Yeah. And, you know, that the supplements thing is near and dear to my heart because I'm working on, on something that will really help with that. But the idea for me is we should have more options on the protein we're taking because whey every day is not a good idea. Um, but and that's the standard out there. That's where yeah. you go. Like milk-based protein for a lot of people will create inflammation and poor digestion. Yeah. Not everybody, but some people. And even in the people that it doesn't, would it be good to have more varied protein sources? Yeah. We all believe that a balanced diet is a good thing. Why not vary your protein sources? So I, I plan on solving that issue for people, mm-hmm. or at least being a part of the solution. But the idea with supplements is just like what we're discussing with the podcast in general, discernment. Like, the truth of the matter is not, I'm going to get these explosive muscular gains. It's if you're hitting the amount of protein that you should be getting for your exercise levels and for the right stimulus, which we'll get into later. But there are times in your training where if you're using like a mechanical damage stimulus, you're going to need more protein. So if you're getting the right amount of protein for what you're putting in in the gym, will you get better results than if you didn't have it? The answer would be a pretty clear yes. But is taking one scoop of protein just going to have this huge, crazy effect? No, it helps you towards your goal in the day. Say it's 150 grams and you've gotten 120 from your food already and you're hitting your 150 consistently because of that, that'll be a big difference maker. So, yeah. But, you know, when we talk about stats, like are we winning? We got into the health and fitness industry. If we look at just the outcomes, we end up getting to this point where it's like, well, what are the outcomes? Well, if we look at diabetes, it's a really interesting thing. If you look at stats um, starting in like the 90s and 80s, you'll see this kind of exponential growth. And one of the most alarming things is you're going to see the most growth in diabetes is going to be um, your type 2 diabetes, um, especially in kids. That's that's one of the most alarming things for me. It's It's starting earlier, meaning getting the right modeled behavior. It's not just about how fit somebody is. It's also about their kids seeing that you should be investing in yourself, whether it's time or money or both. They modeled behavior is the thing that's going to be the best. And it's it's actually one of these stats where they're predicting by the year 20, 2040, I think it is, 2040, that's supposed to be about 1 in 10 people have diabetes. Yeah. Which is crazy. And that's something we need to get on top of. And it's not just about getting out to the people that are fitness enthusiasts. It's actually getting out to people that are consuming any type of fitness product. 
And so the term consumer, whether it's a good thing or not, it's like, well, we need to be making more fitness enthusiasts in my view. And then, you know, even outside of overweight and obesity, if you look at neurological disorders, um, there's guys like Dave Perlmutter that are really staunch advocates of lower carb. And they're talking specifically about neurological conditions on the rise like crazy. Again, it looks like an exponential rise. You'll see that with um, Parkinson's, with Alzheimer's, with dementia, even with things like MS. Like we live in a province that's got the highest rates of incidence in MS in the world. Mm-hmm. One in a thousand, I think it is last time I looked. Yeah. So these neurological conditions are a serious thing. And you can even pull these back to kind of discussing exactly where that comes from. And they don't know. But you'll also see some other really interesting correlative data on the uh, the consumption of carbohydrates. I even read a book uh, by Tatis Karazian. I've mentioned it before. It's called um, Why Isn't My Brain Working? I think. Why Isn't My Brain Working? Something like that. Um, but he talks about the different types of gliadin or what people call gluten and how alpha gliadin causes the autoimmune response of digestive distress, whereas gamma and omega actually cause the result of neurological upregulation, which is interesting to me and part of the reason why I d- ditched that. Yeah. And the stats that you're that you're pumping out, whether it's cardiovascular issues, neurological conditions, things like that. Heart disease would be a, a, on a really similar trend. Yeah, heart disease. This is an issue of like the fitness in like the health and fitness industry, but maybe we need to dig into this in another episode, but this is also the quality of our food. And I said to a degree that it's a societal issue and you're like, "Well, what does that mean?" And I'm like, "Well, like it's way easier to go out there and get crappy garbage food at the snap of a finger than it is to get some food that's really really good for you and even McDonald's you know it's 100% beef patties right so even even that aside just going to the grocery store like the the eggs that we're getting are being just mass produced like the, just the quality of food i don't think is the same that it was 50 years ago 100 years ago or beyond that because it's just being and the amount of food that's being wasted is another thing. The amount of food that we're producing versus the amount of food that we're wasting and we're just mass producing it and the quality and the nutrients. I don't think the nutrients in the food are the same and that's affecting like the situation as well. Yeah, I'd need more information on that to plant my flag, but I will say it's different for things produced in Canada versus the States. Mm-hmm. So people will watch a documentary on a documentary. It sounded like a, I said, dog, a documentary. A documentary. It's, yeah, it's a mentory on dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> people will watch a documentary and they'll be like, okay, well, this is truth. And this is what I'm talking about. The, the massive farms in the States that are, that are doing like industrial farming. That's not what we're seeing in Canada. My dad was raised in Shepherd, Alberta, just outside of the city. I think it's almost part of the city now, but, um, he's like, that's, that has nothing to do with the way that we do things. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think it's always that, but that's why I say dig into it. Like, tell me, what do you mean societal? Because well, there is that, I think. Even just food in general, like the, so like a lot of the fruit we get is from the States, like apples yeah. and oranges and all these things are all from the States. But what about like the amount of process and refined sugars and crap like that? Like yeah. all these gummy candy, pop tarts, all this crap. Kids want that. That's their go-to. And that's their go-to even for, I think, a lot of parents just because it's easier to access and it stays... It stays, um, what's the word? It stays better it's longer. Non-perishable. It's non-perishable because it's garbage. It's like plastic. You know some of the highest margins in the grocery store are in the cereal section? Yeah, because a lot of it's garbage. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's quick carbs. It's cheap to produce. But even like, why do they, why do they use um, corn syrup? Like, why do they use that? Well, it's more potent and it's cheap. That's yeah. why they use it. So when you say society, I'm like, let's dig into that because we can talk about like the industrial. It's capitalism. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and like this exists in places outside of that too. So I don't want to just put that umbrella on it. And the reason I asked that question when we were talking earlier is, well, what do you mean? Because again, we get back to the modeling, like what the parents are showing the kids. And that is a societal issue as well. But it's this big umbrella doesn't cover it all. Like, and that's such a personal decision you know, I did a I did a question and answer with a friend of mine named uh, Will Petrie. He runs Will Petrie Jr.'s Metabolic Mastery. He helps people lose weight, especially people that are really overweight. He helps them lose weight quickly, and and um, he does it with a lot of his chemistry background. But I was speaking with him on nutrition, and he started getting into like the the government factors and big business and all this sort of stuff. And I said, "Well, slow down, slow down," because I don't disagree with that necessarily. 
but I want some specifics so we actually know what we're discussing. Mm-hmm. And we're not being forced to eat anything. That would be a completely different issue. But we we do have really easy access. I would say the ease of access for food, especially food that isn't the best for where you're wanting to go. Just say it's garbage. It's okay. <laughs> well, even if it's not garbage, it can be the right stuff, but you're eating way too much of it. Yeah. Like I had a, a client say, well, I've been doing this elimination diet and I'm still not losing weight. I'm like, well, how much are you eating? Mm-hmm. Like it might be high quality food, but if you're eating more than you want, then yeah, then that's a thing. In the future, we're going to have to discuss the relationship with food thing. This whole podcast is just going to be a giant Pandora's box that you open up and there's another one. And then you open up and there's another one. And then you open oh, should up. have some good questions coming out of this. But one of my things that I like to talk about is, you know, people often talk about their relationship with food. And I'm like, yo, listen, it's a bad relationship, period. Because it's an accommodation. Like, if you're treating a person as a means to an end, that's a sign of a bad relationship. Yeah. That's food, bro. Like, you mean treating food as a means to an end? That's what it is. You eat for either A, the way you feel because it you like it, or B, what it's going to do for you, whether that's positive, like energy or whatever, or if it's like, well, I need to eat this food because I want to perform like this or look like this, or there's always a reason why you're eating. So you're saying either or is both negative. It can be. Mm-hmm. Food in general is an accommodation in my view. It, it isn't something to be looked at like, oh, it's good or bad, like the whole clean eating thing. I'm like, yeah, listen, it's good to eat whole foods of better quality. I agree with that. I do. But that can go wrong too when you can't go an hour without food because you like the way it makes you feel. Mm-hmm. So then it has control over you. So for me, it's the, my relationship with food here. It's like, well, listen, it's a bad relationship to start because it is an accommodation. You're using it as a means to an end. So are you controlling the way you use it to get you where you want to go? If the answer is yes, then it's likely a good relationship. It's good enough. I'll give it the GED, the good enough degree. I had a uh, discussion about food weather. Like, does food always need to taste good? And a lot of people nowadays are like, yes, the food I eat, if I'm going to eat food, it's got to be delicious. I'm like, well, does it? Well, you know, that's a value system thing, right? So I'm not even saying good or bad. I'm just saying, here's the ways you can go. Yeah. And with food, it's for me, I ask myself, okay, I'm feeling hungry. It's 10 o'clock. Am I hungry or am I bored? And a good measure is, am I willing to sit and eat three tablespoons of cauliflower? Or are you dehydrated? Yeah, it could be that. Have I had enough fiber today? It could be a lot of questions. But if I'm not willing to have cauliflower, even if you dip it in like some hummus, some hummus <laughs> even if you're gonna dip it i was it gonna in... say ranch but oh yeah i can't do ranch dairy and stuff yeah no <laughs> uh but yeah like even if it's dipped in something if i'm not willing to sit and eat that and it's like no I, I just i have a chocolate craving then i'm like yeah how much is food controlling me versus me controlling it like i think that i should be in, in the driver's seat with it and if i'm not then it's i i start to wonder if there's some dysfunction of some sort yeah so yeah but all of that to say those cravings are weird too from person to person on how because again like food is a coping mechanism right i actually don't have a lot of like crazy sweets craving like chocolate or candy or anything like that but if you if we go downstairs and i roll five thousand on the rowing machine after a five thousand meter row for me i want some candy like i need like sugar like fast hard hitting sugar that's gonna like straight to the vein like right away tap it to my veins yeah like Blend up some nibs and just stick it in the vein. <laughs> oh, that's at least no, the same but like color, I guess. my uh, my sugar craving, for instance, completely different against other people. Like some people want like sugar when they're bored, and I definitely like I crave that sugar after I expend those yeah that energy. But yeah, well, the idea of of all of that we're gonna get into in another episode. But really, you know, this one is about what's it about? We're we're talking about where we're going with this thing, and. To start out, I think it's probably a good thing to talk about exercise in general. Like, what is the goal of exercise? Like, it's a pretty easy question to talk about, I think. The goal of exercise? Yeah. Like, what is exercise? What does it do for me? Are you saying this is episode four? (laughs) I am not saying it's episode four. No, you're not ready to commit, huh? You have commitment issues? No, I was going to say talk about it now. Oh, you want to talk about the goal of it? You have commitment issues. We're 35 minutes in. 
That I wish a, people were here and we could say thumbs up or thumbs down. Keep going. A live, a live podcast. Yeah. Up to you. I'm down to keep going if you want to like. I think we should finish. You want to pop off. You know, I'm okay on an hour. I think an hour is What's good, the but... goal of fitness? Yeah, like what What are you actually training? Let's start there. That's the <clears> question. <throat> what are you actually training? Let me just speak for everybody. Okay. <laughs> is that wrong? <laughs> That's wrong. <laughs> I don't know. You Let can do that. Let me just speak for everybody. Try. I'll try. No, I think when we just talk about the goal of fitness, I think most people get into it for the aesthetic aspect of it majority of people when they start especially younger people there's obviously again i'm not speaking for everybody even though i said I was. <laughs> but i think a lot of people that like in my career a lot of people who came and seen me typically an es- it's an aesthetic goal set that they're they're trying to approach a lot of people you know it's always the uh it's like what's your number one goal i want to lose weight i want big arms i want big chest i want to look this way i want to look good and it's like okay what's the secondary goal normally it's an aesthetic goal again i want to look I want a six pack. I want this. I want that. I want to look this way because it makes me feel this way, that emotional response. And then the third goal, when you dig into it, it's normally third on the pedestal. That's where it's like, well, I just want to feel better. (laughs) Yeah. How much of that is that they're just not comfortable saying it though? Like confronting an actual issue is hard. That's a big question. In regards to the aesthetic goal? No, I mean, when it's like, well, actually, I just want to feel better. Like, who's going to sit in front of you and say, listen, I've been feeling sad lately. And part of it is the way that I look. Most of the time you're going to get, well, I just want a six pack. Because that's, it's saying what they want to say. Yeah, it's it's not showing the weakness. It's, <sighs> yowzer. Yeah, I think that's probably viewed that way. I think you're right on that. They probably look at it as like exposure, weakness. It's a vulnerability. It's, yeah. I feel sad is a vulnerable statement because people, when you walk out in the, like in the world, you want to look like you like got your shit Stick together. your chest out, most, get into the world. And that's why most people like got to doll themselves up before they get in the world. Check and like do their hair, brush their teeth, look presentable, look well put together, especially like, you know, pre- like presenting themselves. Like most people want a nicer car than they do want a house because the car travels with them and it should re- re- like it represents status. You see more, I see more, I'll speak for myself, not everybody. I see more beautiful cars in the hood than I do in the million dollar house neighborhoods. And guaranteed, some of those nice, beautiful cars are definitely behind the scenes, like tucked away in their triple quadruple car garages, but still their typical go-to vehicle is a Toyota Camry or a regular mid-class vehicle. And then they didn't have a car payment, so they could afford the bigger house. And yeah, you can get into that too. But if we come back to the goals thing, the goals thing is interesting to me. I don't me. even know how I got there, but yes, yeah, I like it. It was a tangent. I brought you back. We're together. Good job. So, for me, the goals thing. When you sit down with somebody, what is exercise about? I usually hear three things if I really pepper them, and it's going to be they're going to have their um, self-efficacy or self-image goal. They're going to have a general function goal, depending how old they are. And then they're going to have a performance goal. I want to do X, Y, and Z. Those three things are always there if you dig deep enough. Mm -hmm. But it all distills down to function. As you have it taken away, it becomes more important. So the older population has had some stuff taken away so that all of a sudden that is more valuable. So you'll hear about it soon. But I'm actually asking a question that's a little bit deeper than that. And what is the goal of exercise in general Regardless of what your value system is or what you want out of it, the actual goal is training your brain. It's making you harder to kill. That's the answer I like. It's a good it's a good answer. But even that is about training your brain. <laughs> so if there's people that actually want to consume good information, Spark by John J. Ratty. R-A-T-E-Y. Is that Ratty or Ratty? Ratty. Oh. Ratty. 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 I like it. Hmm. Yes. But like that book, Spark, is a very good thing because it actually frames up what exercise does for your brain. Mm-hmm. So it's going to talk about changes in GABA and serotonin and dopamine and norepinephrine. It actually has the ability to balance these neurochemicals. So it can make you feel better if you're dealing with ADHD, anxiety, depression, all of these things. And he references schools in the States that are doing heart rate training in the morning before they learn and there's this increase in something called um, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. It's like miracle grow for new synapses. 
Yeah. It actually helps you learn better and increases what you can learn. So exercising before you do something. They took a school and they studied this school with um, heart rate training. And one of the teachers said that he was almost in tears because one of the girls that he was giving bad grades for ages, she was finishing the race and she was near the end of the pack in, in the running event. And he's like, well, I've been giving her bad grades, but she actually held a higher heart rate throughout the whole thing than most of the kids. So her effort level was higher? Yeah, so he felt horrible. He's been essentially dogging her as far as grades, but he didn't know the hidden curriculum of she's actually working harder. Yeah. So it changed the way they do grades, but it also changed their outcomes in things like math to they were low for in the States. And then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, they're actually rivaling some Chinese schools for math, which... If you put the stats side to side, there's a much larger focus on mathematics in that particular country versus the U.S. So it's kind of like to be aspired to 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 be in that realm. Yeah. Um, but really, what he talks about that was really game changing for me when I first read it, it was everything we do is training our brain. So you want that six pack? You want the biceps? You want whatever? That's yeah. all coming back to training your brain. Yeah. So. Can I get the right nutrient partitioning? Can I get the carbs to the right place? Am I having enough nutrients to get that done? Am I choosing the right stimulus, the right duration? Like all of these things come back to, I'm asking my brain to do something. Yeah, I think this goes hand in hand. I was listening to this podcast with some NBA players and they were talking about how they are physical geniuses and it's only being recognized in like today's generation um, as they study people being like, well, typically a genius would be identified as somebody who can do like chemistry or biology or math to a very very high level but it's like what about a basketball player who can play so flawlessly his hand-eye coordination and his movement and his analyzing of you and like being able to watch your body and like move around you and then like sink a three-pointer from the three-pointer line every single hit like just make a bucket that like that's that's physical genius and that's the brain working and like optimizing at a very very high level in order to be able to execute a task like that it's it's different than being a math genius, but being a physical genius still requires like that's not just that's not like the biceps and the legs doing the work. That's still your brain processing all that information to a very high and quick level. Well, even when you watch somebody do a bicep curl, let's let's ride that train for a second. Somebody doing a bicep curl in the gym that it isn't under tempo. They aren't thinking about how they're executing it. They don't have a, de a defined intent, meaning yeah. you just see I'm just getting the weight up. That's a, one of the first questions that we need to talk about. What is my intent with exercise? Am I, I targeting tissue or am I lifting the weight? I talk about that when I start uh, training my clients when they start thinking about a squat. I feel like a lot of people when they initiate a squat, when they're just starting their fitness journey, they're just like, the, it's objective base of like, I need to go down and up. And that's all they're focused on is just going down and up, not thinking about anything else other than just same thing with a bicep curl. It's just, I just need to get the weight up. And once the weight's up to this point, that's... That was a win. That's a victory. That's the rep. Well, even, yeah, well, and that's it. Like, identify your intention. How about this? The leg extension is a better exercise than the squat. You could just say that. Oh? But yeah, but you have to qualify it. So let's say I'm doing a stimulus like AMPK. It's a stimulus. It's a local metabolic stimulus, mm. and it's going to be something. What's AMPK? adenosine monophosphate kinase yeah say the big um, words yeah so basically what we're doing is we're burning energy so quick that we have to upregulate carbs to get to that tissue in the form of glycogen it's going to run the electron transport chain and the citric acid cycle all of the stuff that doesn't matter the end of the day if i want to do something to get that muscle to grow because it's holding more glycogen more fuel if i want to use that stimulus a leg extension is preferable to something like a squat because I'm not going to have technical breakdown and I'm doing say 40 seconds on 30 seconds off for eight sets. It's only going to take me just over four minutes. My quads are going to be smoked for nasty minutes. Yeah. If I did that with the squat, what would happen? Technical breakdown, you fall apart, get injured. Technical breakdown, systemic stress, meaning I've changed the stimulus to oxidative stress, which is not what my goal was. So intent, setup, execution, they all matter. So that's something that we have to talk about for sure. But even outside of all the big, ooh, like AMPK or, or talking about exactly um, what stimulus we're using, what do we actually need to know? Well, we don't, we don't need to know all the details behind the curtains. Is there a reason that I would do the leg extension? Yes. When you look at somebody and think that they're stupid and your shirt says, 
I don't use machines, I am the machine. It's like, well, you'd be more of a machine if you learned how to execute and contract your quad fully on a lengthened and shortened position. And you could actually use more than just a couple stimulus because you were opening yourself up to the opportunity that you might be presented there. Mm-hmm. So in my view, this kind of dogmatic stuff, even for myself, I'm actively trying to purge that because there is a lot of reasons why you would do a lot of things. Barbell's king, Curtis. That's the king. Squat, it's best exercise. It's king. <laughs> no? <laughs> well, yeah. Bar, bar, I posted yesterday about the barbell. And I, I was doing a bench press and I worked up to a decent bench press. I've been really good at bench press in the past because I did a lot of it. When I started Olympic lifting, my bench press was like 400 pounds and my squat was like barely 300, mm-hmm. which is not normal. But depending f- who you are and which gym you go to. Well, exactly. But for me, when we talk about am I trying to work the pec or lifting the weight, I posted a video of me pressing 100 pounds more than my body weight for two reps yesterday. Mm-hmm. And then I posted an incline press that was banded with dumbbells. And I said something that not too many people bid on, but I was like, yeah, well, the intent on the first one is lifting the weight. I'm, I'm actually looking for the neurology of can I do more. The intent on the second one is in fact targeting a tissue and dumbbells are better at targeting the tissue of the pec because they converge. Mm-hmm. And the big weakness of them is when you get the dumbbell over your shoulder, you've essentially got no load because you're lined up. Thus, you enter the realm of adding the band and all of a sudden you've evened out the resistance profile of the exercise. So you don't really have a, re- a resting position. Yeah. And we have a converging drill so I can actually work on the, the area of the pec that I'm looking for. And that one was an incline press. So it'll be upper pec or clavicular pec. I had the bench a little bit lower than clavicular. It was more sternal. So middle pec. Mm-hmm. But it gets, it can break out into something that's a lot of detail. Or it can be something that's simple. How do you target the middle of the chest? It's like, well, I'm not going to say this is necessarily the best way, but if I put those two exercises side by side, I would say, well, this one does it better. Yeah. And that's the sort of discernment that I, I want to build. And, you know, talking about the big stuff behind it, I'm less concerned about than what does that mean for my movement? Yeah. So does the average consumer need to know like, well, you have to call the upper pec clavicular pec. No. If I want to work that, in my experience, for a female that says, I, I want to look good in a, in a dress, we're not going to target costal pec, the bottom of the pec. Because you're never going to see that unless your dress is all sorts of crazy. Yeah. And even then, for a female, that's not going to be the, the thing that's, that's kind of showing. Yeah. So you would be looking more at like, well, probably upper pec, mid pec. That's going to be the stuff that, that's going to be important for the shape that this person wants. So yeah. it does come back, even though it gets kind of... It can get a little bit confusing. It also comes back to really simple stuff. I think a good summary is, again, because you've used some big words today. You're a big word boy. Um, with those big words, it's summarizing, like, essentially, how do you find that good baker? Like, what you said earlier at the start of the podcast is, like, knowing what, what's the right, the, right, the right questions to ask. Did you almost say the white questions? Yeah, I did, yeah. Questions don't have a color error. Right. <laughs> Yeah, no. So like asking the right questions, because again, even that's challenging, right? Like how would I qualify who who's a good coach? Like I know good coaches, exhibit A. Oh, that's kind of you. But I actually, I don't because I don't know the right questions to ask you to even qualify. Like you can use big words and I know there's a lot of coaches out there who could probably use big words as well, but that doesn't necessarily qualify them as a good coach to me. Yeah, well, and that's, that is exactly the thing. And that's the journey we're going on here is, you know, how can I figure out what's good? And that's a really good question to me. Like there's questions that are weaker and stronger for sure. People say there's no such thing as a dumb question. That's debatable. Um, I would say that they're strong and weak. I don't think that's so debatable. There's mm-hmm. questions that are like, that is a great question. Yeah. And then there's other questions that are like, in fact, in research, a lot of what ends up breaking is that they haven't asked the right question. So figuring out how to ask the right question and figuring out how to test that is how they get really good results. And some of the things in physics specifically that they find are things that they didn't think were going to be the case. It was just, well, what if we thought this way, even though we think that's wrong? What if we thought that way? And then they test it and it's like, holy hell, empty space has a whole lot of mass. That's weird. Um, So really coming, coming down to how do I ask questions? How do I look at things in a way that I can chew on them? Um, those are all really good things, but I, you know, I, th- I think that starting with questions like, 
where do I start? Those are good questions. So if you've made it this far, one of my, uh, one of my asks would be send questions, uh, especially commenting on the YouTube uh, would probably be the easiest way to get those through. But um, your Instagram is eric.berg. That's B-E-R-G-E. Don't forget the E, it's silent. E. <laughs> it's pronounced berg. I know. Like iceberg. My phone says bearish. Bearish. Yeah. Mine's coachkurt.h, but any way you want to slice it, questions that you have, this is what we're trying to get into, figuring out the actual fact in them and what is just kind of the hype. What is fitness or fiction? Correct. Indeed. Well, we're going to wrap this baby up. Thanks for joining us. Always um, an exciting thing to reach out and talk to people and have some sort of dialogue with a excellent human being, I believe. And uh, I pretend. Subscribe, like, and to that engage. point, yeah. If you're listening to this, if you've made it this far and you enjoy it, leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, you have the opportunity to be the first person to leave us a review. <gasps> that would be cool. I'm surprised we don't have a single review yet. Like, I thought my moms would have been on that. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to teach my moms how to do it. Uh, I was like, here, mom, here. Yeah, this is how you leave me a review. And I'd be like, you're the best. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Yeah, you're the best from mom. Boom. She would she would sign off on it. Love you, sweetie. Cool. Yeah. It's technology. Technology hates me. No, it's we're back. Technology's my friend. Okay. Woo. 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 Do you want to do some Ron Burgundy for me? So I get the children. <laughs> Save the children. They're coming through the back door. <laughs> uh, unique New York. Unique New York.